1997, Apple was on the verge of bankruptcy with a $1 billion loss, and they were 90 days from insolvency. So they fired the CEO and rehired Steve Jobs, who they had fired 10 years prior. And in a few months, the rest is history. He turned Apple around from a $1 billion loss to profit. And this is the first ad that he ran. And he actually wrote the script for this ad. Here's to the crazy ones. The round pegs in the square holes. The ones who see things differently. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. No mention of megahertz, megabytes, not even a mention of computers. Zero. There was a slideshow running of people that have changed the world. Albert Einstein and the rest of these individuals that think differently. You see, Apple had lost its purpose. It had lost the why. And the first thing that Steve Jobs did in turning Apple around was to get back to the why. So he runs this ad and does not mention a single thing about a computer. Because he believed that Apple existed to change the world by challenging the status quo. That was the purpose, the why. Steve Jobs single-handedly changed the music industry, the movie industry, the phone industry, the computer industry. He changed the world. And according to Sinek, the fundamental difference between the apples of the world and everyone else is that they start with the why. Well, praise God. That's what we're starting with. And so here it is, the golden circle, according to Cynic. What? On the outer circle, every organization on the planet knows what they do. There are products they sell or the services. How? Some organizations know how they do it. These are the things that make them special or set them apart from their competition. Why? Very few organizations know why they do what they do. Why is not about making money. He's coming from an entrepreneur standpoint. That's a result. Why is a purpose, a cause or belief. It's the very reason your organization exists. And he summarizes by saying, why it comes from absolute conviction in an ideal bigger than oneself. So why? Why Adventist education? Why Weimar? Why this university? Why are we spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions over the course of years in investment in this institution? Why do we exist? I'm glad you asked. 
Now, let's go on a little bit of a historical journey here in 2017. There was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Remarkable event, a lot of fanfare, and as one historian said, how a revolution erupts from a commonplace event, a tidal wave from a ripple is a cause for endless astonishment. The Protestant Reformation wasn't just a theological revolution, it was the transfer of power in Western Europe as these monoliths like Germany and England took their stand with Protestantism. Now, as Barzon goes on, he says, the Reformation caused the transfer of power and property in the name of an idea. And in 2017, the first Jesuit Pope, Pope Francis, poured cold water on the 500th anniversary and the celebration of the Protestant Revolution. And here it is from the Catholic Herald. Somewhere in Pope Francis's office is a document that could alter the course of Christian history. It declares an end to hostilities between Catholics and evangelicals and says the two traditions are now united in mission because we are declaring the same gospel. The Holy Father is thinking of signing the text in 2017, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, alongside evangelical leaders representing roughly one in four Christians in the world today. And here's the punchline. Francis is convinced that the Reformation is already over. Did you get that? At the 2017 500th anniversary, the first Jesuit pope in history has the audacity to stand up and say, like, look, it's over. The Protestant Revolution, it's over. And he says it actually ended in 1999, the year the Catholic Church and the Lutheran World Federation issued a joint declaration on justification, the doctrine at the heart of Luther's protest. Now, I agree, by and large, with Pope Francis's assessment. Because the majority of mainline Protestants have gone back to the mother church. This is the landscape. This is where we're at. And the question is, how did they do it? How did they do it? The Protestant Reformation was powerful. It was based on sola fide. Sola Scriptura, this notion that we need to go back to the Bible and was a revolution that changed this course of history, and the Catholic Church was successful in countering the Protestant Reformation, and they brought these churches back into the fold. But it took them 500 years. They played the long game. How? Well, you go back to the Reformation, and this is from Malachi Martin, Jesuit. He comes out with this assessment of history. Holy Father, this is from what Leola said to the Pope. Holy Father, the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church are in mortal trouble. Needed is a modern weapon to fight this total new warfare. Give us a new charter, like no other charter. We will go anywhere, at any time, at any cost to life, and comfort in order to do anything. 
and the historian says the Protestant Reformation being a revolution, it would seem logical that the Catholic Counter-Reformation devised at Trent should be called a Counter-Revolution. The order found by Leola as the Society of Jesus was to reconquer the countries lost to Protestantism. Now, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories about Jesuits, but it's very apparent. It's out in the open. The number one purpose of the Society of Jesus was to bring Protestantism back. That was their number one goal. And the irony that the first Jesuit pope, 500 years later, says we did it. How do they do it? Education. This is from Franklin Painter, History of Education. This order, established by Ignatius of Leola, found a special mission in combating the Reformation as the most effective means of arresting the progress of Protestantism. It aimed at controlling education. More than any other agency, it stayed the progress of the Reformation and it even succeeded in winning back territory already conquered by Protestantism. Although employing, employing the pulpit and its confessional, it worked chiefly through its schools, of which established and controlled numbers. He goes on, The Jesuit system of education was intended to meet the active influence of Protestantism in education. It was a remarkably successful, and for a century following 1584, nearly all the foremost men of Christendom came from Jesuit schools. In 1710, they had 612 colleges, 157 normal schools, 24 universities, and an immense number of lower schools. Education. Now, just in case you think this is just selective sources in regards to the Jesuit modus operandi of using education to win, win Protestantism back, I have in my library a 900-page thick volume called From Dawn to Decadence, 500 Years of Western Cultural Life. And the critics, when this came out, they went wild. They said, From Dawn to Decadence, in short, is peerless. This astonishing monumental work may fairly take its place alongside Gibbon. This is, this was his magnum, you know, this, I don't know what you call it, but this is, this, this was his work. This, his work of his, his life work, and he wrote it in a short period of time. And he is an historian, erudite, an intellectual, not a Christian. And this is what he said as he talks about the Protestant Reformation. He begins with the Jesuits. Meanwhile, by care and thought and continually revised methods, the Jesuits shown as schoolmasters, unsurpassed in the history of education. Their success was due to the most efficient form of teacher training ever seen. They knew that born teachers are as scarce as true poets and that the next best cannot be made casually out of indifferent materials. So they devised a preparation that included an exhaustive learning and a severe winnowing of the outfit from every phase of long apprenticeship. In short, they had a standard of excellence for teachers, and if you were a half-baked teacher, you were cut. They were serious. He goes on. 
The Jesuits set up schools by the score. In the mid-17th century Europe, there were more schools than pupils than in the mid-19th century. Indeed, there was soon complaint of too many schools for the population. All likely youths, rich or poor, were given the means to attend, and the merits of the system were shortly seen in the galaxy of brilliant minds that it produced, from Descartes to Voltaire and beyond. And a good many philosophers and scientists were educated by the Jesuits. There you have it. E.A. Sutherland, founder of Madison, an erudite historian on education, goes on. He says, as the, his, as the progress of the papacy through the Jesuitical schools is followed into one country and then another, one admires the constancy and self-sacrifice of those who have committed their lives to this order. Had Protestants been one half as diligent in advocating the principles of Christian education as the Jesuit teachers have been in the counteraction of the influence of the Reformation, far different would be today, uh, would be seen in the world today. And then he goes on, it is without the slightest feeling of animosity toward the Jesuits or the papacy that these facts are traced. These do both for their cause what will best serve to upbuild it. Their method, insofar as they accomplish their desired end, are to be commended, and their zeal is to be admired. Francis Xavier said this, Give me a child until he's seven, and anyone can have him afterwards. The power of education. The Jesuits realized that if they were going to win in the counter-revolution, that the children of the Protestants would be trained by the Jesuits. And in 500 years, they did it. The power of education. And as Malik said, former UN president, change the university and you change the world. Because what happens in the classrooms of today dictates the revolutions of tomorrow. This is where it's at. The heartbeat of Adventism is in education. Because if there's ever going to be a generation that takes the gospel to the world before Jesus comes, the battle has to be won in the classrooms. This is where it's at. I pastored for 17 years. Don't let this baby face fool you. It's not forever, but it's long enough for me. Praise God for education. And as I ministered in the pulpit to congregations in different parts of the United States, it struck me as I ministered to a 70-year-old that believed that Adam was not the first human being. That believed that Jesus used evolution in creation. That the first week in Genesis was not to be taken literally. That Moses had a pre-scientific mind and he did not really know what he was talking about. I ministered to 40-year-olds that were dentists in my congregation having gone to our schools, 
that no longer believed in the Bible in spirit of prophecy. But they appreciated our community, but wanted to change our identity. And I recognized, and it clicked with me, I'm getting these people way too late. They've already sat at someone else's feet. But if I could have had a crack at them when they were 18, 19, 20, and 21, I might have had a chance. So this is where the battle is. Right here. And look, the Lord doesn't care about numbers. He did it with 12. All we need is one Martin Luther. Amen? One John Whitecliffe, one Ellen White, one J.N. Andrews, one Uriah Smith, an individual that's willing to stand for the right, though the heavens fall. And it's our part to capture the minds and the imagination of the next generation so that we're not here another 40 years and you're having to be where I'm at to try to inspire the next generation. It's time to go home. And God has called this university for such a time as this. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. Because we believe that education changes the world. And we want to take the gospel to the world before Jesus comes. And the battle is right here. Jesus, the greatest revolutionary in history, was a teacher. Think about what he did. He changed the landscape of human history. Came down. He didn't travel. Stayed in a relatively small area in the Middle East, three and a half years, took a bunch of quote-unquote losers from the world's perspective, educated them, and they changed the world in one generation by taking the gospel. Actually, the apostle says this, for three years and a half, the disciples were under the instruction of the greatest teacher the world has ever known. His investment was in education. But when he died on the cross, he looked like a failure. But Jesus had the long view. After he went up to heaven, in the inauguration, Pentecost, those men stood before the Sanhedrin. And they said, man, we've seen this before. They've been with Jesus the power of education. No longer were they ignorant and uncultured. No longer were they in a collection of independent units or discordant and conflicting elements. The advancement of his kingdom was their aim. In mind and character, they had become like their master, and men took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's the telos of education, to make us like Jesus, because the gospel goes to the world not just in speech, but in life. The time of the judges, every man was doing what's right in his own eyes. The first school 
was to be the home. But there was a breakdown of the home. And this was exemplified in Eli, the last judge before Samuel. Wayward sons. He could not even govern his own school. Israel was falling apart. The educational system was spiraling out of control. The book of Judges, you ever read it? It's a mess. And yet Samuel does something that stops the crazy cycle. He starts a school. The schools of the prophets. And listen to this from the book Education. These schools of the prophets were intended to serve as a barrier against the widespreading corruption, to provide for the mental and spiritual welfare of the youth, and to promote the prosperity of the nation by furnishing it with men qualified to act in the fear of God as leaders and counselors. He starts establishing these schools of the prophets, and this is what Ellen White says. Look at the effect. In no small degree, they aided in laying the foundation of that marvelous prosperity which distinguished the reigns of David and Solomon. She links it. She links it. In other words, the break between the craziness of the judges was Samuel investing in education, the next generation, the schools of the prophets. And she says it was because of the institution of these schools that the reign of David and Solomon was possible. I love this church. And that's why I believe in Adventist education. Because if there's a breath left in my body, I want to see Jesus come before I die. Amen? But the only way that's going to happen is if we win the foot race in educational reform. And the battle is right here, guys. What happens in the classroom shapes the revolutions of tomorrow. Madison. Ellen White, before she died, under the inspiration of God, inspired two young men to start Madison College. And it's interesting how Madison grew, and even though Madison is not around today, the legacy of Madison continues. Ellen White says it was to be a school after a different order. It's the only school she served as a board member. In November 6 through 9, an annual convention in 1941 listed 52 representatives of self-supporting enterprises in eight states, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. The listing included eight treatment rooms and 27 institutions run by 171 families. These were the children of Madison. In other words, these the students went out and they started these lay-run ministries. 
supporting ministries of the church. And in 1946, Convention of Self-Supporting Institutions at Madison approved a plan to call on the Fall Council at the General Conference to organize an association of self-supporting institutions. This would be later known as ASI, Adventist Layman Services and Industries. Weimar University is a member of ASI. GYC, a member of ASI. Audioverse, a member of ASI. Lay Run Ministries. The legacy of Madison continues. This is what E.A. Sutherland said about the students that would emerge out of Madison. These students must receive here in the training school lessons in independent thought, in leadership, and in the power of initiative. I pray by the grace of God that we can inspire a generation of young people that are going to challenge the status quo of saying, you know what, I'm just going to live my life get a job, live in the suburbs, drive an SUV, have a couple children, throw a few bucks in the offering plate, retire, and die. I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that. But we can't have this mentality, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. We've got to live for something greater than ourselves. Our career is just a means. Yes, be a doctor, but be a doctor for the Lord Jesus, and your real agenda is to take the gospel to the world. Be a teacher, but your real agenda is to inspire these young people to love Jesus. Be a business person, but have the real agenda of being a business that's going to be dedicated to the gospel commission. Be a musician, but let it not be about yourself. Let it be about glorifying God. That's what God has called us to be. I used this illustration before. I want to use it again. Philosophy of Adventist Education. Students, you're just going to have to bear with me. I have this strap here. Just pulled it out of my shed. Now I want you to imagine that this thing goes on forever. How long does that go? Forever. I'm glad you have a vivid imagination. It goes on forever. Now, can you imagine how forever? It's just forever. All right? This, this gray rubber part on here represents your life on earth. That's it. You know what Harvard teaches you? Their paradigm of education is for this. They're like, hey, go to Harvard so you can get a good job and really enjoy this right here. 
and then and then right here and this and this too and so so the, the frame of thinking of of the world's education it's for this it's for this the revolution of adventist education it's for this and this that's a paradigm shift and sometimes being an adventist school following an adventist philosophy of an adventist education the world looks at you and says you're a fool moses Look like a fool. You're going to give up being king and follow a bunch of these slaves across the desert, burlap. You're a fool. But Moses is like, no, you're a fool. Because where's Moses right now? Where's Pharaoh right now? See, it's more than a career. It's about a calling. And I pray that as you go through this institution, you're not thinking about just this. You're thinking about this and this and this. And you know the only thing that translates from this to this? You can't take your car. You can't take your house. You can't take your 401k. You can't even take your degree. As wonderful as it is, praise God, for Weimar University. It doesn't matter in heaven. Character and people. That's the only thing that translates from this to this. So while you're having your career, you got to make sure that you don't lose this. Why? With such an army of workers as our youth, rightly trained, might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. That's why. That's why. The heaven-appointed purpose of giving the gospel to the world in this generation is the noblest that can appeal to any human being. That's why God's called you to be a doctor. That's why he's called you to be a teacher, a musician, or whatever it may be. It's just the means for heaven's agenda. And that's to take the gospel to the world, to heal a hurting world. That's why Weimar University exists. My parents, I thought, were crazy. They came to this country, Korean immigrants. My dad came when, when he was 19, one suitcase. My, no, my mom came when she was 14. And they had me and my sister 
And you need to understand something about Korean society. I think some of you do. It's either pre-med, pre-dent, pre-law, or nothing. It's all about upward mobility. And so, education is everything. We lived in Mon Montgomery County in, in Maryland, one of the richest counties in the States. And they had an amazing public school system paid for by tax dollars. And all of my friends were going to these elite schools. And my parents sent me to an Adventist school. I didn't think amen at the time. Because my parents drove beat up cars. Embarrassingly beat up cars. We had one car, it was a station wagon, and my, it needed a paint job, and so my mom spray painted it. And there was a part of the car, because she was a, you know, like me, vertically challenged, that she could not reach the top of the car. And so the top of the car was a different color than the rest of the car. And when my parents would drive up to pick me up at my Adventist school there in Tacoma Park, Maryland, John Nevins Andrews Elementary School, I'd be so embarrassed. They'd be like, Dave, your mom's here. I'm like, Mom, please drive off. We lived in a smaller home and it began to click in my elementary school mind. The reason why my parents drive these cars and we live in this house is because I did the math in my little elementary school mind is because the tuition of my sister and myself was the equivalent of car payments and house payments. And that's why my friends could drive the cars they have. And when I turned 16, I inherited a piece of junk with 200,000 miles on it, while my friend got a brand new Toyota Camry. And I want to tell you, I was resentful. I said, my parents are crazy. They're investing in the wrong thing. Like, what, what's this? I mean, like, better schools, quote unquote, better classes. I'm, 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 I'm in Adventist education and, and, it, and it was frowned upon. And I had a friend of mine, son of immigrants, Korean, about my same age, and we're growing up together. And as Korean moms do, there's the comparison. Oh, my son can play the cello. What can your son do? Oh, you know, this whole thing is going on. But there was no comparison, guys. There was no comparison. Basically, 
my parents had to believe in Adventist education by faith because from the standpoint of the entire Korean community, I was an outlier, which meant I was a loser. They were like, David's not going to, mm, Lord help him. Fast forward. Ten years. I've graduated from the seminary. I'm in my first district pastoring in the Michigan Conference. It's GYC, 2004. Believe it. 2004. Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's the second one. I'm there. And I shook hands with the, you know, the other son of immigrants, the one who got the Toyota Camry, that went to those elite schools. It was the most surreal handshake I've ever had. It's like, how you doing, man? 10 years later. And I walked away from that. I said, what happened? Because he had just graduated, not graduated. He had just gotten discharged from San Quentin Penitentiary. After serving for nine years for attempted murder. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that everyone that goes to public school is going to end up, you know what I'm talking about, okay? San Quentin or end up in Crowbar Hotel. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that everyone that ends up in Adventist schools, you know what I'm talking about? But you know what the question that arose in my mind? What if? What if? What if he had the teachers that I did? What if he had the opportunities that I had? What if in the classroom, my teachers inspired me to live for something greater than myself? What if? That Toyota Camry is rusting away in some junkyard somewhere. But the investment in education, by the grace of God, it's eternal. It's eternal. It's forever. Because in the highest sense, the work of education and the work of salvation are the same thing. They're one. They're one. Let me talk to the students here tonight. Don't waste your opportunity here. We're debtors. There are people in the world that would give anything to have the education that you're having right now. Don't squander it away. This is a priceless opportunity. Amen. By the grace of God. 
And I want to make an appeal tonight. If you want to say, Lord, I'm tired of living for the narrative of just this life. Amen. I want to live for something greater than myself. Taking this gospel to the world before Jesus comes. And you want to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. And you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and saying, it's time to live for something other than yourself. To live for Jesus. Amen? And if you want to say that tonight, I want to invite you to come forward for special prayer. Who cares what other people think? This is between you and God. And you want to say, Lord, I want to live for Jesus, for something greater than myself. I want to live for you. I want to live for the why. Can we kneel? Can we kneel? Let's, let's kneel together. Oh, Father in heaven, here we are. First of all, we thank you for, for Jesus, the greatest educator in history. We praise you for the opportunity that we have here at Weimar University. And Lord, there's a crisis in Adventist education. And Lord, you have called this institution for such a time as this, to be the modern day school of the prophets, to raise a generation that will take the gospel to the world before Jesus comes. We pray that missionaries would come out of this institution, medical missionaries, teachers that are missionaries, musicians that are missionaries, business individuals that are missionaries, whether domestic or international, we pray that every person here would be a missionary for the Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to rise above our selfish love of ease. Help us to not want our cake and to eat it too. Help us to lay it all on the table, to live for the why, to live for the vision, to live for the passion of heaven, of saving souls for your kingdom. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've fallen short. And Lord, today, we pray that you would work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Help us to be willing to be made willing by your grace. For we ask these things in the precious name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.